for me, I can eat all day long. It's terrifying. Like, I love food. I love it so much. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, all right, what am I going to cook for our lunch snack? And I've said, sometimes said to Tiff when we're walking the dogs at nine in the morning, so for lunch, what do you want? She's like, give me a minute. I haven't woken up yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking about food all the time. It's, it's crazy. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to a woman who only knows how to make things delicious. Uh, when I think about Nikki Rima's food, I just think about sinking into flavour, technique, comfort, care, just all things good. I also think about sitting in a restaurant, which I can't do right now, but I am super glad to speak to Nikki from Bolotta in South Melbourne. Welcome to the show. Oh, very kind intro, if I might say. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, you know what uh, What comes to mind is um, the Pativier that I had at Bellotta not that long ago. Uh, first there was champagne and oysters and then there was a beef carpaccio and then there was Pativier, which I think, was it squab that was inside it? Yes, that particular one was a squab variety with or flavour with the black lentils. Yes, I, I do love a good meaty thing wrapped in pastry and baked you know like I think it sells it's it sort of gives you that comfort vibe like you said but it also just has all those great flavors in it you know and it's all encompassed in one little thing I love it I love it too and I I mean I love anything that's sort of wrapped and is a bit of a present to you know discover and uncover and get into the different layers and of course when something's wrapped in pastry you get that sort of aromatic blast as you start to dig in so I really appreciate that and those kind of game birds I would I I think I've only ever accidentally had a pigeon in the house um, and I had to chew it out. So I'm never going to cook anything like that at home. So I need experts like you to put them in front of me. <laughs> well, thank you. I must admit, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are, are fearful of cooking those things as well, you know, and it's something that you're like, oh, am I just going to overcook it? It's it's a little bird. It's muscly. But it's, it is full of flavour. And I think, you know, you've got to – I think there's two ways to go. You can either roast it, you get the beautiful pink breast, but, the, you know, the legs can be a little bit problematic. But I just found that the best way for me was to – I love to braise them on the bone, you know, so I like to brown them in the pan and I brown them with lots of butter. So I only really like cut the birds in half so they've got all their bones still in there. So that, that when you brown them in the pan and they get that nutty – buttery flavour to them and then you might you know deglaze with a little bit of Madeira and then you do all your vegetables and then you things like carrots and shallots and garlic and I throw in a bit of porcini and Swiss brown mushroom and you put all that in the oven when it comes out just the fragrance from that and those birds become super tender you know they're so tender so that all I need to really do is take away the bones and there I've got a filling for a, a pativier add some lentils and boom <laughs> you kind of make it sound easy, but I also know that I'm not going to do that. So, I mean, we, we talked yesterday to Danilo Mancini from Society Restaurant about the art of service, and I think that's one of the things that people definitely appreciate about restaurants. But do you think 
Is there also something in foods that people don't cook at home? You know, is that a good reason to go to a restaurant? It is very much so. Um, I mean, I guess I've based a career on that, haven't I? You know, like 30 years of cooking and I still get asked, how do you comfy duck or how do you cook quail without, you know, making it dry and nasty or, you know, how do you make a terrine and, you know, all those things that we as chefs have, you know, built our cooking repertoire on. You know, we, we want to know classics. We want to know the skills that have set chefs apart from a home cook for centuries. And that's an important reason why you go to a restaurant and enjoy it. You you know, why do you go to a Japanese restaurant? Because there are chefs there that can slice, slice and dice fish like no tomorrow, you know, like they know how to do certain skills that we don't necessarily know how to do at home. Now, not to say I don't mind a good home cook trying what they want to at home, but I need to be able to show you some well-taught and well-learned skills that you can go, oh, my God, that's why I love eating out. You know, of course it's about the way that someone pours your wine and comes to your table, but you would still at the same time you've got to be able to put something in your mouth that you go, wow, you know, and you don't get to do that all the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind hacking away at things at home and experimenting. And I did, you know, in our big lockdown, go go a bit deep into duck and I did confit duck and I did, you know, cook duck breast and try to get the skin crispy just like in a restaurant. And I think, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you get it right, but I suppose the other thing that you also realise is that you don't always get it right and you definitely don't have that consistency that you go to a restaurant for where, um, especially one like yours, where you just think whatever is going to hit my plate, it's how it's meant to be. Uh, so I suppose there's that element of of trust as well. Um, yeah, and just really appreciation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, why I love being a chef is because when I get that trust from a customer, when I can feel that, you know, I want them to walk into the, the door of a restaurant where I'm working and go, okay, I can relax. I know I'm going to get something good or, I'm, you know, they're going to get something I hope is delicious. Um, and I think all cooking comes from the heart. As much as there's some technicality involved and, yes, there's 100 people in a restaurant and we all have to do our job, you know, um, running to times, making sure everyone's getting fed at the correct time, I think intrinsically you're still cooking from your heart because I'm tasting things all night long as I'm cooking in a kitchen and I'm always going, oh, no, that's good, that's great, yep, that can go, yep, that's delicious. You know, I can still taste something cooked by a young chef beside me and go, you've nailed that, that sauce is perfect, yum, you know. So, And that's not just about your brain, I believe. I think I really feel that it's about how you feel inside in your heart as to how your food is tasting. And I want that to happen for everyone who comes and sits down at a table, you know. Well, how are you finding this whole couple of years which is sort of leaking into when you aren't able to put food on the table in front of your cherished guests as often as would be ideal what how are you finding your satisfactions and and the very different rhythms that we've all encountered through this period yeah absolutely it, look it's <laughs> the, the peaks and the troughs are real you know like I remember I was just thinking about this the other day when the first, when we all sort of started heading into this, 
I don't think any chef, you know, or restaurateur knew where it was heading and how to do it. And, you know, that the pivot word was strong and we're all sort of thinking about different things. You know, we dabbled in hot takeaway. We dabbled in having, you know, meals that people would come and pick up that were hot that but but still in a box separate. So but what I found worked and the best way I could keep my creativity and my team's creativity is that we we created boxes of we called them boxes of deliciousness that people could take away and finish off at home. And I think a lot of us as chefs have have embraced that because it's one way to give a bit of a feast to people but and make them feel the love and go, oh, yeah, look at all this food. I open up a box. Oh, my gosh, I'm surprised. Look what I'm getting, you know. But it's also a chance for the chefs, I think, to still feel like, it's kind of a weird service almost, you know, all right, here's the menu for the box. Let's get that packed. Let's get those box ready. They're coming to pick them up at that time. So there is an adrenaline with it. So that keeps that part of it going. But since this started, I've done over 30 different kinds of recipe uh, menus, I guess you'd call it for boxes. And, you know, you start to go, yeah, right. I never thought, I never thought. I've got a file on my laptop that's called Bolotta Boxes and I opened it up and went, yeah, okay. There was a 14-week lockdown in Melbourne that we did that big. And I, there was two boxes we did every week and each time it was different. You know, So there was that plus this second round where we're heading into. And it's it's sort of that thing of, okay, I can keep feeling creative, but I've got to say this most recent one, it was like my my emotions and my mind put the brakes on and I just kind of went, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not enjoying this, you know, and I had a real day there where I kind of went, all right, Nikki, we've got to suck it up. It's not always about how you feel as an individual. You know, I've got to think about my team, making sure that they're okay and I've got to rally, so to speak. I've got to sort of, you know, get some fresh air, get the love from my family and move forward. And I think a lot of us, have had our moments where moving forward hasn't been easy and, you know, you can have a day or two or a week where you're just like, all right, what am I doing? How am I coping with this? And I kind of went back to my basics in my thoughts and just went, I love to cook. I love to feed people. Okay, Nikki, let's get some cookbook reading and, you know, memories of things past, of travelling and where I've loved to eat. And and all of a sudden I, I felt coming out of it again, you know, like I felt myself lifting because I sort of went into the memories of why I love to do what I do and it was like, right, here we go again, you know, and you you bounce back. <laughs> but wow. I mean, you really you're digging deep, aren't you, into your reserves of resilience and creativity and fortitude. And it's not, you know, and it's not something you can necessarily do on your own. Like I'm lucky I share a home with my sister. So, you know, I could, I had a day where I was in tears and I just kind of went, what am I doing? You know, and you need to talk to people. You need to talk to someone that you care about to say, I'm not coping, you know, and that's okay because she's had times where she hasn't coped because she misses, she's in the service industry with us, you know, she's, so she misses people. She misses that that sort of face-to-face thing. And we sort of, you know, we really help each other to remember what it is that we love to do and then just transform that back into another 
way to get back to our customers. And I got to say that when I hear back from a customer, you know, after a lockdown, when they say, oh, I loved that box of food. Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Oh my God. You know, that makes me feel so good just getting that little bit of positivity back. It's not the same as a busy buzz of a restaurant, but it's just as good, you know, that, that, mm. yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, it makes me feel oh, a lot of things as you speak, um, but it does, it does highlight the importance of those interactions, whether it's someone, you know, that's in your household that can support you. Hopefully you can take it in turns, you know, in the slumps and you can help pull each other out. Um, but also I think those interactions between, yeah, diners and, and restaurants um, and with anyone, like whether it's a person you walk past in your mask on the street when you're going past with a dog, if you try to smile with your eyes, I think any of those little touch points can really make such a difference to people. Totally, totally. Like, you know, I you know I have my fur babies and I love to take them for a good walk and, you know, I've become the the crazed chatter. <laughs> Everybody's like, <laughs> hope you have a good day. What are you up to? You know, like because it's just that little bit. I mean, it makes me feel better as well. It's not sometimes I'm like that poor person probably didn't want to hear from me. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time, dogs have been a communication tool, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think dogs um... – yeah, I mean, they're always a bit of an icebreaker, but I've, you know, I've seen people on the street that really, really need to pat your dog. Um, and you just think, well, maybe they haven't had, they haven't had a hug for a while. And if they want to hug my dog, then she's always up for it. So that's fine. But I mean, I just think it is whichever sort of little touch points we can find to keep connected. I think they are so important. Oh, um, incredibly so. Yeah. So, Nikki, do you and your sister Tiffany, who's front of house at the restaurant, um, do you ever do any, restaurant experiences at home, the two of you, just to keep yourselves engaged and uh, suffused with hospitality joy? It's so funny because, you know, the, the one thing we have in, you know, that we have always is that we go, okay, let's plan our menu for the week or for the days that, you know, that we, we know we're going to be the lockdown in. And I know I'm very lucky in that regard and that, you know, I have a sister that can say, I'll make us a little cocktail at five o'clock or, you know, um, I'll, I'll make a little uh, afternoon glass of wine or spritzer or something, which, you know, I, that has been super important to me to sort of have that from her. But at the same time, I've loved the whole thing of, all right, I'm off to the market. You know, tonight we're going to go France. We're going to have a little veal and mushroom sauce and, you know, a, a perfect iceberg salad. Yeah, that, you know, we sort of do that. Or then I'll say, I'm craving Morocco again. I think I need to cook a tagine. So I, <laughs> It's super important for us to sort of plan those out. Like I've got the notebook and I've got the, all right, here's the different things that we're going to eat for the week. <laughs> so that's been really important for me. Um, I must admit, it, you know, for me, I can eat all day long. It's terrifying. Like I love food. I love it so much. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, all right, what am I going to cook for our lunch snack? And I've said sometimes said to Tiff, when we're walking the dogs at nine in the morning. So for lunch, what do you want? She's like, give me a minute. I haven't woken up yet. <laughs> so, so, but I'm I, like I, that. Yeah, I'm thinking about food all the time. It's, it's crazy. And that as much as I was a little bit down about, you know, things as far as I think for me as a chef, I lost, I didn't have control. And I think all 
head chefs in particular, we like to be in control, whether it be, you know, that we're knowing what how our service is going to run and, and knowing how our week is going to be, you know, because we can forecast with bookings. And when all of a sudden someone takes that away from you, you can feel a little bit like lost. And I think that was one of my things. But I don't ever lose my desire to cook for myself or my family or to eat, you know, like I just... I can still wake up every day and look, and even look at an Instagram account and go, and the, oh yes, look at that apérol spritzer and those, you know, pieces of cheese and olive at someone's holiday in bloody Florence. Yes, I feel like eating that today. Okay, maybe I'll do that. You know, so that's how my mind is always working, to my detriment sometimes. But I love it. Well, I mean, I, I think you know when people are talking about how to get through these really difficult periods. They do talk about routines and grounding and doing things that make you feel good. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast would certainly relate to thinking constantly about food and always being about what's the next meal, what's the next drink, what's the next snack. I know. I know. I mean, I've, I've grown a, a big appreciation for the snack. I think, so, you know, when I'm working, oftentimes I never get, you know, I'm tasting things all day, so I don't see it as a snack. You know, it's just that's my work. But all of a sudden, you know, I'm at home and I'm going, oh, hang on, it's three o'clock. Mm, maybe some cheese? You know, so, you know, all of a sudden it's that, that uh, I've never really appreciated 11Zs and all of that, but I do now. <laughs> Nikki, take, it, take us back. Tell us um, what what made you fall in love so hard with food and, and you know, that, that you and your sister have both ended up in, in the industry? Yeah. It's funny, you know, like we grew up in hotels. My dad was a hotel manager um, and, you know, it was that time in the – well, I was born 1970, so, I mean, dad, mum and dad when not was – four or you know tiny we were running the motels you know like we lived in um you know central new south wales there in dubbo you know dad ran a, a little hotel there you know and things like this so i've always had the love of um I guess it sounds like it's almost like traveling and hospitality all rolled into one when you live in a motel as a kid. Um, so you've got that and then to me as a kid being in a kitchen was never unusual because there were the kitchens in the hotels. My sister's got stories of being caught roller skating in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, all this kind of thing because the chefs always knew we were the boss's kids. But – I don't think I realised just how much it was in my blood till I went to high school, was good at science and maths and finished it, went off to engineering at, at Melbourne Uni and within a, within the first year I realised I didn't like it. I, I didn't think this was me. And I reckon I was probably 21 at uni when I still had that joy of my casual job as being a, in dad's, you know, in the bars, in the restaurants, in the hotels. But at the same time I was sort of gravitating towards the kitchen because I just loved the atmosphere. And I remember saying to my parents, I think I want to be a chef. And my dad was just like, what? Whereas my mum was like, well, you do what makes you happy. Mum was always about what makes you happy. And I remember going down and doing a bit of a, I guess you'd call it like a, a, a work experience, but, you know, and as a 20-year-old in one of the hotel kitchens and went, no, no, sign me up. I want to do my apprenticeship. And I never looked back. And I think it was because it was always in me, but I just hadn't found it and when I did you know I just loved it. I can still remember 
working the larder section as a you know as a first year apprentice in the hotel and just loving it just loving the setup just getting my my food ready and you know it was i i was like a pig in mud straight away and before i knew it i was working at stephanie's as my final year apprenticeship and it kind of went from there and i think because we traveled as kids as well dad is, was Aust- is austrian i should say by birth but he's an australian you know through and through now we went back to austria you know my parents took us overseas they instilled in me and my sister a love of traveling quite young and of trying different foods you know like we lived in Darwin at one point and our favourite restaurant was the local Chinese restaurant and there was never a fear of oh, that's unusual or that's different. It was just like you got to try it and then it became the family restaurant, you know, so there we go to to eat, I should say. And Tiff was the same and I think Tiff, my sister, really gravitated towards serving people and, you know, the joy she gets from making a good drink for someone or just greeting them and being gregarious and, and showing them love in that way and, We've both sort of dabbled out of that a little bit. You know, I mean, I've always been a chef, I should say, but Tiff at one point, you know, left the industry but came back to it because she said, it's the only area I'm really happy in, you know, and we've just sort of never looked back on it. And all our holidays, all our travelling, we can remember almost everything we ate. Like we remember all the restaurants we went to, all the little snacks we had, you know, and the bars and stuff and because – that's what our lives are about for us, you know, and I, you know, and I will always do my damnedest to to eat somewhere else that I haven't been to or to travel. And, you know, may, maybe that takes a while before I get to do that overseas at least. But I'll certainly always be wanting that feeling of trying something new with food. And I think my parents obviously put that into us at a young age and we didn't even realise it. It was just, yeah. yeah. One th- one thing, um, just to go on a bit of a tangent, I remember the beautiful Charlie Gibb in her fully booked um, series had your mum uh, do a talk upstairs at Union Dining and your mum had worked uh, for Westpac and with particular focus on women's finances. And um, I just wonder if you could talk a bit about that, you know, like women in hospitality uh, often they're not raking it in and sort of building a financial future can be tricky, not just for women, also for men in the industry. And especially now where so many businesses are really stretched. I mean, what kinds of things have you learned along the way uh, regarding, you know, keeping on, yeah, the financial straight and narrow? Yeah, absolutely. And that was, it's, it is good that you mentioned that because mum has always been a champion of that of, you know, helping women realize just how important you know your finances are and one thing she always said to me is your man is not a financial plan which you know (laughs) I always used to giggle about but I guess as I got older I realized more and more so that it, it is so important to think about your future and that now that not might not necessarily mean you know I've got to be making you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars as a career. But I think it is super important for us to always realise that superannuation is a good thing. Now, whether that means you're working for yourself and you're putting away some money or you're working for someone and you're checking that your superannuation is being paid. You know, it's – I I am single and I'm, you know, have no plans otherwise. I love my life, don't get me wrong. But I'm always thinking about, well, I'm going to have to look after myself. 
you know, as I get older. So I've always made sure that whether it was when I was working for myself and I was keeping money aside or I'm working for someone else and am I working for someone who is also doing the right thing by me? I think a lot of women and men can often work for someone and not check that that's happening for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with checking and, and asking questions about making sure that your superannuation is getting paid because at the end of the day, it is your money and when you're 60 or 70 and you want to stop working, you know, you need to know that there is something in there. And, it, you know, we all have different lifestyles. Some of us will live the high life in retirement. Some of us won't, but we can all live a reasonable life if we've been doing the right things by ourselves and making sure that our employers are as well. So I've always made sure that I've said to young women that, and I'm try to do as much mentoring as I can. Sometimes it's just a phone call or an email, but I'm always saying to girls, young women in this industry, you know, keep an eye on your finances. I'm not saying how you spend your money. I'm talking about how your employment is working for you. You know, are you getting your superannuation? Because at the end of the day, you're going to need it. <laughs> and when you get older. Why is it, do you think, that people still have such a hard time talking about money and standing up for themselves uh, around it? I know. I think women in particular, you know, and my mum was the one who will say this now as well. We tend to have a lower, a lower look at ourselves when it comes to money. And well, I think that's a societal thing. You know, often it's almost being bred into us a little bit that um, it's embarrassing to ask about money. Um, you know, you shouldn't do that. And we shouldn't be like that. We should stand up for ourselves because we're just as worthy as anybody else that we work with. You know, I've, I've met young men in the kitchen who – have more front than Maya when they've been asking for, um, you know, more money or whatever. And I've always thought to myself, well, good on them for asking, but I've been very, at the same time, very straight up with them to sort of say, well, yes, your skills are good at that. And yes, you can get a pay increase. Or no, you can't, you're not ready for that. Whereas I've had young women in the kitchen who I know, you know, are skilled and should be getting more money. And, you know, I'll sort of say to them, all right, I've gone to them as another woman and said, okay, you're ready for this. I want more women to to not be afraid to say, I'm ready for this next step. I know I can do it. I deserve this. And I think more and more now as a society, we've, there are more things out there that people, women, men are seeing that, you know, it is right for us all to ask for what we deserve and all for try for new things. So, you know, it is a bit of a battle still. I'm not going to say that this is, you know, easy or that it's, we're already at that point. I think young girls st will still always have to remember that what they do wherever they work is worthy of whoever they're working beside. So, you know, I just keep saying, ask the questions. You're allowed to ask. You know, don't be afraid to ask. Mm, yeah, I think it's really it's really brilliant that you're sort of mentoring people through that cultural shift because it is so important. Um, yeah. Uh, enough, you know. I mean, I, I I look. I've got two goddaughters. You know, they're one's six and one's four, and you know they're going to. 
I, I think about their future and the biggest thing I think about is that I want to make sure I'm always there for them to, if they want to ask the question, that I can help them because I can't see it changing for them by the time they're 30 or 40. I really can't. I think the world's got a long way to go, but we're getting there slowly, so freaking slowly. It's not funny, but at the same time, if I can get one young girl to make sure she's doing the right thing by herself, I know that that's a good thing. And I reckon I probably helped more than one as I'm going along, but I'll always sort of say, you know, women are incredibly resilient in their work. They just have to remember to not be afraid to push themselves. Yep, very wise words um, and always timely. Um, So, Nikki, here we are in Melbourne in lockdown number six, Sydney's also mired deep in it. There's various parts of regional New South Wales and Queensland that are also in lockdown. It's just such an uncertain period. Uh, how do you see things rolling out for the hospitality for restaurants around Australia? You know, where do you think things are going to land? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of talk about this at the moment at home, you know, with family and friends and, you know, we wonder whether we will get to a point where, you know, we do see more vaccinations and we are more, do we end up being like the States where or Europe where there will be some sort of, uh, I don't know, vaccination pass where, you know, yes, uh, you can go into a restaurant because you're vaccinated and you don't have to worry about things. Will we end up like that? Uh, I would think we probably will. I, was, I saw that Danny Myers in New York is saying that he's getting all of his staff. You can only work for him if you're fully vaccinated, you know, and these are big operators. These are huge employers of thousands of hospitality staff and will it work? Will it make it easier? You know, probably will. Um I just want to see more people vaccinated in Australia and we can keep moving forward. I do feel that society is getting more accepting of us doing our food boxes and our different things. So, you know, people will embrace that, but they're not going to embrace that forever because at the end of the day, we I still think we're social beings and we all want to see each other and we all want to be out. So I just hope our, our governments and our powers that be – help society get to that point again because Lord knows I love doing FaceTime. I love chatting to people on the phone, but it's not the same as locking eyes with someone across the table, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's definitely not the same. It's definitely the, the chinking of glasses is definitely something that is the best sound in the world. <laughs> it is. And that happy buzz. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I totally agree with you about vaccination. I think, you know, hospitality workers, are they're on the front line and they, they need to be vaccinated. They need to be protected. And I think, you know, as, em, as an employer, uh, I'm not surprised that big restaurateurs are, are taking, taking those measures because it's a duty of care, really, um, to a large degree. I think in the US um, there's been, you know, Unfortunately, there's been a lot of deaths in hospitality where the virus has been running rampant and people haven't been protected. Um, and, yeah, it's it's scary. It is really scary. I know. And I, it would be nice to see, you know, even if the governments, I mean, we're a small country in comparison to these other countries around the world. And, you know, it would be nice to see our government sort of say, all right, for the employees that do want to vaccinate their staff, here's, ex- here's what you need. 
We'll provide it. We'll make it happen. You tell us how many staff, we'll do it. You know, so that could be a great next step for us to sort of ensure that, you know, restaurants can safely say to patrons, this space is a safe space as much as we can make it. I don't think it should be that hard. I mean, you know, kids go to school and get vaccinated. Um my my daughters were vaccinated for HPV with whenever whatever the age is. I think in year nine or ten at school, it's just like it, we have the mechanisms. Um, it's just a matter of rolling them out smartly and accessibly, and um, and I guess normalising it, which certainly has been with so many other vaccinations uh, in our community. Um, so with the boxes, and I mean, it, do you think that you'll keep that alternative income stream going even when things settle down? I look we we do talk about that too and I think ultimately we would prefer to have people in the restaurant and in the bar and dining in that method we are a small team in the kitchen there's only four of us you know um so ultimately when we do reopen we like to be running a normal service um I guess the income we get from the boxes is great. It keeps things moving. It doesn't necessarily, it's certainly not a huge profit margin exercise. It's more of a, you know, I'm very lucky in that regard that I work with owners that sort of say, you know, we do this because we want to support our hospitality staff and the people that come and dine with us normally. So, you know, it is a way to keep people employed more than anything and keep people, keep people viable, you know, with their own mindset as well as um, a job. So ultimately we want to be serving people with plates and glasses, you know, and things like that. Um, We want to be eating things off plates out of glasses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're washing up for you, you know. So, you know, we want that ultimately. We will always have this as something that we do um, as our – you know, the nasty word pivot point, you know, every time we go, okay, let's do that. So it keeps us moving. And I think as long as, as you know, I've said before, we need to keep moving and that's the main thing. Mm, yeah. So Nikki, let's finish by let's talk about some produce. So sort of August, you know, what are we, what are you into? What are you looking forward to? What's about to pop out of the ground? Yeah, I know for me, I must admit, August is sort of like this, okay, we're on that cusp. It's starting to get a little bit warmer, hopefully. Um, you know, I'm I'm starting to think about spring. I mean, I've been loving this time of year with cooking because I'm all about a good braise, as you know, and I like a bit of a slow cook, but I also appreciate a good cabbage. You know, I, I do appreciate a good bunch of cavalonero and all those things. I'm still really loving that. You know, I still go to find some chimichurri and go, oh, yeah, I want to cook that now. Yeah, so I still say that I'm loving those things that are coming out of the ground, although they're coming to their end, so to speak. But um, I have to say I'm probably also thinking about, okay, where what's next? You know, like I'm, I'm – trying to focus on spring and think about what's going to be coming up with that, some fresh greens again and things like that. So whilst I'm still brazing away, <laughs> just thinking about spring really. <laughs> yeah, little green shoots. Oh, yeah. You know, those when they start popping, yeah, just love it. The smells of all that kind of thing happening again. And I, I'm also – I'm doing a big sort of – France, a French kind of feast for this box that we're going to have happening at the end of this week because I feel like we're probably still going to be in lockdown. 
<laughs> over the weekend. I just have not one hundred percent confident that we'll be out of it just yet. So, doing a bit of a cassoulet box, you know. I, I do love a good cassoulet, and I do love beans and pork and smoked hock and Toulouse sausage and confit duck, all and that. So, I'm sort of setting that all up today. I'm in the little home office, surrounded by my cookbooks, and uh, working on all of that. So, yeah, at the moment. Deep in the um, realms of France in my head at the moment. Oh, beautiful. Well, if we can't get on a plane, we can definitely go there through Cassoulet. I just, even as you're talking about it, my lips are starting to stick together with those, those Cassoulet <laughs> flavours and textures. That's that sausage. Mmm, yum. Uh, Thank you for always taking me on a delicious food journey, Nikki. It's been fantastic to have you on the podcast and um, I look forward to seeing you in a real restaurant before too long. Oh, I know. Thanks, Danny. It's always lovely to chat to you and just to sort of, you know, I find a good chat is very therapeutic. Definitely. We're all about that here at Dirty Linen. So thanks for being part of it. No worries. Thank you. See you soon. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.